Hello and welcome to the Bristol to Beijing podcast. I'm Luke Grenfellshaw and I'm cycling from Bristol to Beijing on my tandem Chris. I left Bristol in January 2020 and it's fair to say it hasn't been straightforward so far. As I continue my expedition, I want to share the journey with you. And each episode, I'll be sharing my thoughts and experiences from the past week on the road. And occasionally, I'll also be chatting with someone who can shed some light on the country I'm in as I try and understand the world a little better. So, without further ado, what's happened this past week? So, Luke, where are you at the moment? Right now, Kate, I'm in Bukhara. So last time we chatted, I just arrived in Hiva. So I think there's quite a lot that we've got to catch up on. Yes, it's been a while. I can see you right now across the Zoom screen sitting in some sort of courtyard with some rather amazing brickwork behind you. Can you tell us all exactly where you are? Yeah, so I am in a caravansai in Bukhara. Okay, what's a caravansai? So it's one of the places where travellers used to come and rest, essentially. It was mm-hmm. one of the, the safe spots. It was one of the resting places. And I'm in a courtyard and there are probably about 12 different rooms coming off this bottom. So just all around me, there are different rooms going into this kind of white brickwork. And then mm. there's another floor above. And there's a couple of trees that are shading me. And it's quite high walls. So despite it right now being very hot outside and we're talking about 45 degrees in mm. here it's quite bearable it's quite comfortable okay so it does feel like i'm in a very different place 45 degrees you've been cycling through that what's that been like yeah, it's quite interesting actually because i've had to go through another 400 kilometers of desert and i was really quite worried about it or Mm -hmm. I just really wasn't looking forward to it I knew I could do it Uh, I didn't think it would be worse than what I'd done before but actually Mm. it came as a really nice surprise that although on the map there was one town over 400 kilometers of cycling which was worse than what I did between Baynao and Kazakhstan and Nukas in Uzbekistan a couple Mm. of weeks ago actually there are lots of small settlements every 30 40 kilometers um you know nothing very much but there was at least a shop so it wasn't as long a stretch without anything there exactly and that just takes all the pressure off that you can stop that you have some food and yes you don't have to carry so much with you and also i had a tailwind it was amazing excellent it was like a huge difference it's like the first time i've had a tailwind in such a long time probably since turkey it feels like and I was just bombing along at like 23, 25 Ks an hour, which for nice. the tandem That's is, fast on is the tandem. Like Formula One. Yeah. Amazing. It must have felt like you're sort of winning at life when you're doing that. It's weird, though, because it's quite difficult to work as hard. So in some ways, although I was going much faster, it didn't actually, time didn't pass quicker, right? It didn't actually sort okay. of feel easier on the bike, even though there was a lot more distance yeah. being covered. It was a slightly weird sensation. Okay. Um, but I'm not complaining. No. What did you get up to while you were in Kiva? Kiva is an interesting place because it's quite different from Bukhara. Like mm. the old town feels much older and uh, everything is like mud, mud brick walled and mm-hmm. the streets are dirt underneath. Whereas in Bukhara, it's it's much more m- modern feeling, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. the, all the buildings are brick. 
Um, and so that's just give you an idea of Hever feeling like an older city, more more like something from the medieval ages, perhaps. Okay. Um, but I actually didn't spend that much time absorbing Hever because there were a few different events that were organized, um, mm -hmm. which was really awesome. We've had um, some support from uh, the Youth Affairs Agency. There was a big kind of cycle velo marathon that was going from the east of Uzbekistan to the far west uh, to Moynak, which is where the old ships uh, in the Aral Sea are now sort of rusting away. So it was kind How of- How far is that? Um, to raise, um, I don't know, actually, it must be something like 1,500 kilometers. Okay. Now let's, let's focus in on this uh, Velo Marathon because I first heard about it in Nucus and they invited me to join in Hiva. Mm. And I thought, well, this sounds awesome. You know, mm. uh, well, I was a bit sort of umming and ahhing because I also wanted to kind of keep on going to Bukhara. Uh, but I was like, oh, this sounds awesome. Some, some good cyclists, um, chance to meet people and, mm. uh, you know, some big miles on the road, I suppose. And it was really through this episode that I got to understand a little bit more about how things happen in Uzbekistan. Okay. And it's quite, it's been quite interesting for me to sort of understand. And I think a lot of this comes to around timekeeping. Okay. What do you mean by that? So, so, um, <laughs> On the morning that we were set to depart, um, I was like, okay, so what time are we leaving? And they were like, right, uh, be, be at the hotel at seven o'clock in the morning. So I arrive at the hotel at seven o'clock in the morning and I'm sort of expecting to wait for half an hour, an hour or so. Mm. Um, and I arrive and everyone's still having breakfast and I have breakfast with them. Um, and then, you know, two hours pass and everyone's just sort of waiting around and milling around and we're still at the hotel. And then we get up and get on our bikes and we cycle into the center of town. Yeah. And um, that's where the start line is. So we're going to go, the, the day that I decided to join them was between Hiva and a place called uh, Ungench, which okay. is about 35 kilometers away. So a short day cycle, I yeah. thought I can join for a day. I won't join all the way to, to Moynak. Um, and then just time passes and all the and you're waiting. Are waiting around. Mm. I'm waiting, doing my best to be patient. I'm not very good at that. Yeah. And you know, like nothing's sort of happening and just like, where's, when are we going to start? Okay. And um, yeah, eventually some school children turned up and they put the start banner up and then two hours later. So at 11 o'clock we start the cycle. Wow. And so I'd got up at six o'clock in the morning to go for the cycle. Yeah. And one of the things that I've learned in different forms, and this is just one example, is that time is a very loose concept as far as I've observed in Uzbekistan. And people are just very, very happy to wait, or at least they're, they, they, they seem to be not at all put out by it. Um, mm -hmm. And things get organized absolutely on the last minute. Okay. Uh, and so the number of times I've had someone say oh by the way um you know we're we're meeting in uh 30 minutes time uh, are you ready to give a talk and like oh wait i um i thought i had plans then or i thought we were or it would be like oh i thought we were going to give a talk at a school not um at the youth center or something and just mm. all sorts of plans happen 
I was sort of made, I think on the fly at the beginning, I thought, oh, they're just not telling me. And I think it's just everything that happens quite last minute and everyone's used to it. It's just a very, very different way of working mm. that your whatever comes up takes priority and you immediately go to that. Okay. Whereas I think in the UK, we're like, well, I've planned something in this time. So that takes priority. Yeah. So it's just a very different way. Mm. Do you think you've adapted to that yet? I keep on thinking I've adapted and then I discover that I haven't. <laughs> okay. Um, or I'm still, <laughs> I'm, I'm still learning. So I was really kindly invited to have dinner with um, an Uzbek friend in, in Kiva. Mm. Uh, and it was a bit impromptu. We were, we were cycling back on Chris, the tandem together. And I was like, oh, you know, should I drop you at your house? And he's like, oh, yeah, that would be great. And then he's like, mm. oh, do you want to come inside? And I was like, yeah, I'll have a look inside. Mm. And he's like, oh, sit down. Um, okay. It's like, oh, that's great. That's really, really lovely. And this like hospitality is pretty common. Like people are incredibly welcoming and friendly. Mm. And then he says, oh, my mom's cooking plov. It'll be ready in 25 minutes. And I'm like, oh, that, that also sounds great. And so then the plov actually, um, it's only two hours later when everything's ready, the family all together. And so yeah. like, I still, I go into it thinking, oh, I know what's going on. I know how things are going to work. It's, it's going to take some time. And yet things just happen when they happen. Okay. So you guys got to be and quite laid back and be prepared to go with the flow. Yeah, but the flip side is, I think, as far as I can tell, that if you can't do something, mm. you can just say, and people won't take offense. So I okay. think had I just said after an you know an hour of waiting, you know, like actually I've just got to go. Yeah, I think that would have been okay. Um, and at other points, I've been like, actually, I've got a I've got a phone call right now. I really can't make this meeting that this event that you're saying is in 30 minutes time mm. you've either got to cancel it or wait an hour and a half yeah and they've waited an hour and a half so it works both ways and so I, what I want to highlight here is just it's different but it's yes. quite interesting just how different it is because up until this point not all the cultural changes have been very striking but this one is one that's been, has been more noticeable in terms of things that are different how different is the food you mentioned going over to a friend's house for, I think it was, do you say plov? Plov. What is plov? Plov. It's sort of the same as uh, pilau, pilaf. It's all from the same stem. And it's rice with uh, meat, I suppose. You know, okay. rice that's, I think it's sort of gently fried for quite a long bit of time with bits of meat on top. And you have this huge mound of rice and then you've got sort of chunks of meat that are put on top. So how does a vegan slash vegetarian cope with this sort of diet yeah it's a great question kate and um i'm i've decided to be very sort of pragmatic about it and um whilst when i have the choice i will always eat vegetarian food mm. um whilst i'm on this ride and i expect when i go back to the uk i'll be vegan again yeah i will eat meat when it is put in front of me and I will enjoy it and I will uh, really kind of partake in in the social event that um, is going on. And okay. you know, that is part of traveling and to yeah. start being very awkward and someone's just like, oh, um, you know, I, I'm inviting you for dinner and then I'm saying, mm. actually, I'm just not going to eat what you put in front of me. I think that's incredibly rude and I just, yeah. it is difficult. <laughs> 
because it's very easy to slip down that slippery slope yeah i'd wondered about this because some cultures it's very very easy to be a vegetarian you know some cultures are very much built around vegetarian meals and food and meat doesn't play a bit massive part but you're cycling through so many different cultures that i was wondering how you were sort of adapting as you were going with the food and your diet um I suppose I've had to kill quite a lot of sacred cows <laughs> okay. myself on this journey. Um, one of which is is diet, mm. because uh, in the UK I love nothing better than vegetables, pulses, hummus, and cucumber and porridge. Yeah, super boring. And have you been able to keep um, to and- any of that? Mm, the porridge okay <laughs> so porridge exists across the world as far as you found but the rest of it is trickier much trickier yeah the the hummus went first and um no since well georgia and definitely by azerbaijan the options beyond the meat menu are very limited mm. so you know i do cook for myself and generally you know that way i can still kind of get much of the food that i like um, okay. or feel, it's not that I don't like other food. It's just that's the food I've very consciously decided to eat to try and be healthy. I okay, it's more it's more that way rather than a dislike of the taste of meat. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you, well, <laughs> or rather mention, because obviously the listeners can't see you, is you've had rather a striking haircut. <laughs> what was your experience of that like? <laughs> Um, actually, it was one of the best haircuts I've ever had. Okay. And, you know, what for, makes something Kate, the best like haircut? Would you like to just describe this haircut? Your haircut? Um, I'd say it's quite, it's quite drastically short, to be honest. There, there doesn't seem to be masses of hair left. You've got, you know, a bit up the front, um, but your sides are very, very, very neatly cut. Mm. And although... Uh, the guy wielded the scissors and razors with great skill. That mm. wasn't what made it the best haircut. Okay. Now, let me explain. I have always had a bit of a bugbear yeah. about after a haircut, my T-shirt was always full of little hairs. Yes. And they were like so, so itchy. Mm. And the only thing I could ever do to sort of get around that was have wash my hair and wash the T-shirt. Yeah. And so... That always just meant that the the T-shirt had to go straight away in the washing machine. And if you'd had a haircut midway through the day, then I'll be itchy for the rest of it. Okay. Now, the haircut I had, I was topless for it. took off the T-shirt. And then after the haircut, all the hair and the back of the neck was washed, dried. And then you could put your your T-shirt on. And you have no hairs kind of getting in the way and getting itchy. So it was amazing. Something maybe you should suggest when you come back to the UK that all your future haircuts need to be done topless. Exactly, exactly. And you might get a bit cold. (laughs) Well, hopefully it's at least helping to keep you cool in that ridiculously hot weather. (laughs) That was part of the idea, but also I've got less hair to protect myself from the sun. That's true. And last week you did tell us that you haven't been wearing sun cream. But, and I knew you were going to bring this up, Yes. this week I have been wearing sun cream. I decided to wear sun cream. Good. A bit of sense kicked in. Excellent. You you got through to me. Wonderful. That I am (laughs) pleased about, I have to say. So what have you got to look forward to? What's coming up over the next next week, next few days? 
So I'm really excited the next few days to uh, meet some different organizations here in Bukhara. Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure what. Let's kind of come back to this next week. Yep. But I think I am going to do my best just to go with the flow. And my strategy is going to be, I'm going to be free from this time to this time. You can do whatever you want with me then. Mm -hmm. But out of that time, um, I'm, uh, I'm not available to try okay. and kind of <laughs> be able to do other stuff in my day. Yeah. Um, and um, then I'll also be cycling on to Samarkand. Okay. So you'll be back, back onto Chris, but will that be similar sort of desert cycling or what's, what do you expect that bit patch of road to be like? I hope that the desert cycling is behind me. It appears to be from the map. I think from this point in, it's going to be much greener and nicer in general. So fingers crossed, I've really broken the back of this tough segment. And mm. when I think back to Aktau, yeah, you know, getting to Kazakhstan and having what like probably 1,500 kilometers of desert cycling ahead of me. Mm. Now it doesn't feel like such a big deal, but actually there have been like a lot of hard miles mm. feeling pretty um, uh, blasted by heat at times. And so, you know, it's pretty, pretty cool to have got through that. Excellent. So we'll be hearing about that and what you've got up to next week. Um, but in the meantime, you can enjoy being in Bukhara and, um, all the fabulous sort of Silk Road city remnants. Absolutely. And um, I wanted to share uh, ev with everyone uh, a little bit of music that I recorded when I was in Hiva. So mm -hmm. you can enjoy um, some of the sounds, if not the sights of Hiva. <laughs> And that was this week's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it, and thanks so much for listening. We put a lot of time into the podcast, so please do support us by subscribing, reviewing, and rating. And please send in your questions that you have about any aspect of life on the road to Bristol to Beijing on social media. Until next week, goodbye.